And I've been at um, First United Methodist about um, almost, almost two years. I came right in the middle of the pandemic. I've jumped in, gotten involved, leaded, leading some groups, and um, have really enjoyed learning about what the church has to offer and looking forward to getting more involved. So. Well, for me, discipleship means living out the teachings of Christ in your everyday life. In the world, we're told, you know, if somebody comes after you, you get them back and you go after them back. And Jesus says, turn the other cheek. So It's so radical. It's such a different way, counterculture, such a different way to look at things that people who really live that out are going to naturally make an impact because it's so different from what the world expects and how do you react. But when you study Christ and you study the teachings of Christ, you... And live them out. You're going to be. You're going to stand out because you're going to to be so different from what people expect in a good way. It's okay to doubt and to question and to wrestle with each. And we get into groups here and we study the Bible and we um, wrestle with questions that we don't understand and things. And how do we apply that to our life? That's really important. There are a lot, there are other faiths that sort of are. You just do what I say and that's it. You don't have a chance to question and reason. And I'm a deep thinking person. And so it's important to me to be able to reason and to think through things. And the United Methodists really allow you to do that. Um, And specifically like at our church, there's so many ways you can be involved. And not only do they offer so many ways to get out and serve and live out your um, faith in Christ, but when you need to learn more, I mean, they have intensive Bible studies and small groups and classes you can take that help you grow in your faith and help you understand better um, as you, you know, you're on your journey of your faith. So that's important that it's not only just hearing a sermon on Sunday, which that's important, but you can get in groups and dig in deeper with with your um, peers that are that are on the same journey you are. And I think that's really important. I love Rick's story, didn't you? His story is our story. We don't come at our faith in a void all by ourselves individually, but we come to understanding our faith with each other. It takes a lot of people. And that's why I firmly believe in this new, maybe not so new movement, but we're calling it Be United Methodist. I guess it's hashtag, not the pound side. I'm giving away my age now, but hashtag B-U-M-C. I, I love that. And Pastor David and Pastor Andy and Pastor Nikki, they put together a, a theme for this message today. And I want to share that with you as we begin. Because I just think it's really powerful and it, it sets us in the right direction. And so they said... We discover John Wesley structured Methodism to have a focus on discipleship. From the very beginning of the Methodist movement, attendance at classes, small group Bible studies were necessary to attend the society or worship meetings. Today, we still have a focus on growing in discipleship. We seek to build community with one another as we grow in grace, just like the early church in Acts. And so, I've asked several people to help me out today because this is a message that one person cannot deliver. I've asked Warren Pattison, our Director of Adult Ministries, to share a couple of examples of discipleship. And he's also going to share our scripture reading this morning about Peter's ministry that comes from Acts chapter 2. 
Thank you, Pastor Dale. So this is from Acts chapter 2, after the coming of the Holy Spirit and Peter's proclamation, preaching to those that were gathered. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. Let us prepare our hearts to hear what God would have to say to us through this scripture. So those who welcomed Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. May God add God's blessing to this reading of Scripture. Amen. Dale asked me to share a, a couple of stories and examples of discipleship, and I chuckled a little bit when Dale said earlier that Nicole had sent him notes for the prayer time, but he had left them because I did the exact same thing. I had prepared notes, and I left them. So the good news is I did prepare, but I don't have my notes in front of me, so I'm going to share as best I can what I had prepared. It's striking to me how God works in our lives, because I forgot those notes, and Dale led us in the Wesley Covenant prayer. I was reminded of some experiences I had around the Wesley Covenant prayer. I remembered when I had the opportunity to go to England in the Wesley Heritage Tour five years ago, uh, and we went to City Road Chapel, which is where uh, John Wesley uh, ended his life, where he where his life ended. He was there uh, ministering in London. Uh, he is buried there behind City Road Chapel. We had the opportunity to see the house where he was living, and uh, we got to see his bedroom, uh, the bedroom in which he died, and adjacent to his bedroom is a tiny little closet. Really, And in that closet is a kneeling bench. And this is where Wesley would, would pray. Uh, and on that kneeling bench were copies of the Wesley Covenant Prayer. And they invited us to, to take that with us, to remember uh, this powerful prayer, to carry it with us, and to, and to remember this place where Wesley likely prayed that prayer on a regular basis. I carry this copy of the Wesley Covenant Prayer in my wallet with me everywhere I go. A few years ago, we did a study on the Wesley Covenant Prayer that was several weeks long because it is a very rich prayer. There's a lot of things contained in this. And so we distributed these across the congregation as a reminder. And so this is, this is a prayer that means a lot to me. And so I'm just grateful uh, for the way the Holy Spirit is at work and, and the opportunity to be able to share that with you. Rick Jeffries, who we heard from sharing his story, is uh, is going to be leading a class coming up as well. It's it's in our, it's in your bulletin. Uh, it's called uh, the study group on the screw tape letters, and so that may be one uh, area that you that you want to look at. If you go to firstumc.org/groups, you can see all of the opportunities to be engaged uh, in groups this coming fall. Disciple Bible study, which Jeremy mentioned at the beginning, is is one of the key studies, and I wanted to share a little bit about the importance of disciple Bible study. In my life, uh, one of the first opportunities I had to facilitate disciple was was with uh, another young adult. Uh, at the time, I was uh, I was in my uh, late twenties, and 
we were leading at Hyde Park United Methodist Church, and we were going through the study, and every, as it was our pattern in that congregation, we do the last two sessions as a retreat. And so we would go to Warren Willis Camp, and we had a retreat. They had a guest speaker. Well, the guest speaker they had that year happened to be uh, Bishop Dick Wilkie. Now, Bishop Wilkie is the one who wrote Disciple Bible Study. He began this. Um, and so Dick Wilkie is up there, and he's sharing about Disciple and how Disciple has transformed people's lives. And he begins to tell the story of this young woman who is an Air Force officer, and she was teaching at the United States Air Force Academy, teaching Air, Air Force, uh, uh, teaching aircraft mechanics. And how in going through Disciple Bible Study, God spoke to her and called her into ministry. And so she left behind her career in the Air Force, went to seminary, became ordained in the United Methodist Church, and then became a professor. And as he's telling the story, I'm going, I know who this is. Uh, this was, uh, he, he addressed her as captain, but uh, she actually had been promoted to the rank of major by the time I met her, uh, Major Elaine Robinson. She was my seminary professor for United Methodist History and Doctrine. Uh, and uh, it was just a neat story to be able to hear in kind of these unrelated ways of how Disciple Bible Study had, had transformed her life, but then had also had a tremendous impact on my life, not just through the study, but because the study had impacted her life and then her ministry impacted my life. And we hear these stories over and over again about Disciple Bible Study and how it's not just about information, but about transformation. It's about how are we becoming more and more like Christ, that process of sanctification that we talked about last week. Uh, one other quick story, because I happen to see uh, Joe and, and uh, Debbie here today. Um, another study that we have coming up is called the Disciples Path. Now, I know they both have the word disciple in it. It may be confusing. So Disciple Bible Study is a nine-month study. You cover about 80% of the scripture. Charles Marsh, who's back here, is going to be one of our facilitators for that. Thank you, Charles. Disciples Path is a shorter seven-week class where we look at what it means to be a, a United Methodist, to be a Christian in the United Methodist tradition, and what does it mean for us to practice prayers and presence and gifts and service and witness, and what are the practices around that. Well, one of the interesting stories around that is I had invited uh, a man named Jerry Galtz to lead um, a disciple's path several years ago. Uh, Jerry reluctantly agreed, uh, but as he was going through this class, he was he was really struggling with uh, issues of uh, of immigration, of migration, uh, of how uh, people were coming into our, our country. And, uh, and he had had some experiences through various classes and various encounters that were really causing him to question his beliefs about, uh, about borders and immigration. One of the questions that was brought to him, uh, as I recall, Joe, he said that you asked this question. Um, and, and that was, did Jesus come to die for those who, to save only those who had green cards? Did Jesus say, let only those little children who are here legally come unto me? Or did Jesus say, let all the children come on to me. And that question really worked on him, Joe, uh, and, and really forced him to reflect and to think. To make a longer story short, and you can read this uh, story, by the way, in Jim Harnish's book, Make a Difference, uh, Jerry ended up starting in partnership with Danny Higgins, a ministry um, called Migrant Student Services, where he is working, where they are working with migrant students uh, who are academically talented to help them uh, to be able to to live into their full potential, to be able to uh, attend colleges and universities, to to be able to go on interviews for scholarships, uh, and we've seen just amazing, amazing things happen with that ministry. Uh, and really, uh, this this incredible ministry started from from a question in a small group. Um, so these are not just about learning knowledge. Uh, 
This is not just about us uh, coming to know the Bible better, though that's important. Uh, that is a that is a very important thing to have biblical literacy, but it's about life transformation. And so I encourage you, if you're not, to get engaged in a small group, to become a part of community. If you need help, please reach out to me. My, again, my name is Warren. You can contact me in the church office. And remember, firstumc.org slash groups is a great place to see what's happening now. Thank you, Warren. And uh, thank you for so much for sharing your story. Today is about stories, stories that relate to discipleship. Come over here. Come over here. I want to tell you a story. Do you remember a time when you were very young and perhaps very small? An adult in your family gathered all the children together, or perhaps just you? And told stories about your long dead relatives. Well, that didn't happen in my family the way you would think. The stories, now you're going to find out why I'm so warped. The stories I heard more than likely started out like this. Remember when your uncles and your dad tried to dig a pond for your great uncle using dynamite? It's a true story. They did get in trouble when the cow leaned over to get a drink and fell in the pond, almost drowned. And they would tell other stories about when, long ago, great-grandparents and others came to be in that particular area. I remember a lot of those stories. I got to thinking about the church and our story. Our story as Christians that perhaps I didn't hear very much or very often as a child. I'm very grateful that our apportionments were able to provide great discipleship stories. And Warren told just a couple, but there are many. They were developed for all ages, for all people. All is all. Our United Methodist apportionments for discipleship made that all happen for us. Were it not for the stories that we tell as United Methodists that we glean from Holy Scripture, I really don't think I would have become a pastor. So I am grateful. Who is it that keeps the church connected to those who came before us? Not just in the last few generations, but all the way back to the beginning. Who mediates those memories for us? Helps to remind us who we are and where we came from. These are our discipleship stories. Today's story from Acts 2 is a good place to start in answering these questions. The story points to a picture of the earliest believers and the lives they shared as they started down their own path of discipleship in community with Christ Jesus. We have a powerful ministry here in this church of reaching out to others in our community. And Forrest White, our director of missions, he's going to share a little bit more about that story.
So, would you believe that Dale wrote something for me today to read to start this, and I lost it too. Well, I've already gone on something else, so had I known that, you know, I could have gone back. But, you know, this theme of losing, maybe the Holy Spirit prompted me to think of another verse of Scripture for the time that I have to share with you today. Uh, Jesus, in the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, um, the 24th verse, is recorded as saying, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I would say that I lost my life for Jesus as a teenager. I had grown up in the United Methodist Church. I had gone and been a part of the children's choir, not because I have a good singing voice, but because they had good snacks. Got to be totally honest. Um, you know, I had been involved in the church. Uh, you know, my parents were, were Christian members of United Methodist Church. But I was alone in my bedroom late in my teenage years reading a book called Power for Living, when I prayed that Jesus would be my Lord and Savior. And that's where it all began for me. That's the moment in time where I lost my life and I gained both life eternal and life abundant now. And I believe, as I interpret this scripture, what Jesus is saying to us is that we should lose our lives in service to others. If you read my missions newsletter reflection for August, you would have read that I am working on becoming a better yes man. And in that reflection, I said that it all began for me when I said yes to Christ as a teenager. Um, In my previous time before coming to First Lakeland, I served the Virginia Conference at the local church, the district level, and the conference level. And often I trained leaders to go out and lead short-term mission teams. And usually when they gathered, people would compare their mission resumes. They would talk about how many teams they'd been a part of, how many teams they had led to go here, there, and everywhere. And I believe that the Holy Spirit worked on me to sort of make me understand that each of us is given one mission trip. The moment we accept Christ as Lord and Savior begins our lifelong mission trip. It may or may not include short-term missions um, to the other side of the world, uh, but it will always include serving. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And in seeking to be disciples of Christ, we need to do Christ-like things. And one of those Christ-like things surely is losing ourselves for others. So if you say to you, um, to me, Or to yourself, you won't say it to me. You know, I don't think that I can help at Philip O'Brien Elementary School. Wasn't a teacher. I don't really have that gift. I don't think I can go and and fellowship with our friends from Noah's Ark. Um, I don't think I can help Tuesday Tigers with their awesome ministry. Um, I don't think I can go next Saturday for a barbecue in our neighborhood that we've adopted through Engage Lakeland. I would just remind you that Jesus is saying to you, yes, you can. It is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do and know, as we've learned so well throughout this time and others, that God is with us wherever we go, and God is already at work ahead of us.
Thank you, Forrest. This is a Sunday of losing things, I think. Losing your papers and losing yourself for Jesus Christ. What an amazing story that we heard from our, our reading this morning. If you were one of the people that were there at the time, listening to Peter and others, you might say, before we knew it, we were learning about God and our calling spilled out into our lives, even outside of worship, like Forrest was describing. Our lives became not just about learning and growing, but about caring for and sharing with others. You got to where it wouldn't be right for someone among us to be in need, and we had leftovers. So we shared what we had. It was a beautiful time. That was what we like to say, the good old days. That was our good old days. Our biblical story told by Peter. I don't think we can fully appreciate today or tomorrow without understanding our yesterday. Some of you may feel that this account of the early church might be a little bit idealized. But I'm here to tell you, we just spent three, almost three years in seclusion. It was hard to find community anywhere in the entire world. What Peter describes may be foreign to us now in 2022. But I'll say, it is what we long for. It's exactly what we wanted in our time of seclusion. We wanted community. We wanted to share and love with each other. And if we really took this story seriously, can you imagine the reaction if we tried to model our church habits on this passage? Not possible, some might say. There are too many personalities, too many things, too much stuff in the way. Would it mean that we would all have to give up a lot in order to help those in need? Some would even say it wouldn't work. But to be honest, I've never experienced in all my life a more generous church than First United Methodist Church here in Lakeland. Wasn't it just a short time ago that Pastor David announced that we not only met 100% for our capital campaign, but well exceeded that. And I believe that we're over 105, 106. I don't know what the percentage is now, but that tells me of how generous and how loving this church is. First church is an anomaly. I'll tell you that right now. First Church here in Lakeland is what many churches would long to be like. We continue to exceed the expectations while working to spread hope in other places who just need to be loved. If we were honest, our individual desire to know God more, to study Holy Scripture, to reach out to others and tell our story is as strong as ever. Isn't it amazing 
how easy, how comforting this passage is when we're living it out. When we are, in fact, being the church together. I find it relieving. I find it reassuring. I find it one of the most beautiful things I've ever been a part of. I find it a great honor to be part of something that God has created and invited us to be part of. The difference between today, 2022, and Peter's time, it's pretty clear. The similarities are kind of scary. It shouldn't surprise us at all to hear the ministry of Peter in Acts 2 because we're doing that very same thing today. That's pretty cool. That's really cool. And Megan is going to come up here in a minute. Megan is our, Megan Gallagher is our assistant director of youth ministries. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about our family story with youth. Megan? did remember my notes, but I've been a little, <laughs> but I've been uh, inspired and I feel led to maybe go a little off script than what I have prepared after listening to Dale and Warren and Forrest. So, um, but here's what Dale asked me to share with you this morning. So following the Pentecost event and the forming of the church, Peter preaches to them outlining the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Many respond, are baptized, and brought together in their connection to this sacred story. Worshiping and learning together daily maintains awe and wonder among them and moves them to transform their lives outside of worship as well. This group is breaking bread together in worship and moves to break bread in one another's homes. This group of folks prays and learns together and moves to hold one another's interests as close as their own. This group is connected in their relationship to Christ and the group that moves to live in profoundly practical ways as community that cares for one another. Is this beginning to sound like our call as disciples of Christ? So just a quick little bit about me. Um, I am from New Jersey, and I moved to Florida just over a year ago, and I moved here to become a, to be a teacher. That's what I went to school for. Um, but back in New Jersey, I was working at a church as a preschool teacher and in all areas of ministry, but I still thought I was supposed to teach. So I moved here feeling like I was supposed to teach, and quickly learned that that was not my calling. And the one thing I kept saying as I came home from school every day was I missed being in community at a church. I missed working in a church. I missed being constantly immersed in that church community. And so when I came here and I started working with the youth, I I like to say I have the best job in the world. And it's not because we go to Rock the Universe and Typhoon Lagoon and have messy events with Color Wars. Although that is a lot of fun and a little bit of a fun perk, but it's because I get to help guide and lead the next generation of disciples. We offer Bible study, Sunday morning don'ts and discussion, confirmation and youth group as opportunities for youth to come each week and grow in their faith. Each of these programs serve a different role in discipling to our youth. There are ways for youth to grow in their faith, whether they're new to the Christian faith, whether they've been raised Christian and are starting to understand what it means for them to make the choice to follow Christ and not just do it because their families told them to come to church on Sunday mornings, 
or if they just want to dive deeper into the word of God. But we also have times for our youth to have fun and build a community of Christ followers. One of my favorite memories so far this year and the the last year I've been working here was we went on a mystery trip where the youth trusted Emily and I to take them where we had planned. The youth had no idea where we were going. And we stayed at a church, uh, First UMC Orlando, and there was a spot for the girls and a spot for the guys. And just spending that time in community with one another, playing games, talking, getting to know each other, it was an incredible bonding experience and beautiful to see this group of youth coming together, youth from all different backgrounds, just sitting and talking and getting to know one another and growing in their faith that weekend. And they not only trusted Emily and I, but trusted where God was leading them through that weekend. Jesus didn't have just one disciple. He had 12. And then he told them to go and make disciples. It was never just about Jesus. It was never just him leading. It was him and his community, his 12 disciples. And so I think it's so important as we are working with our youth and helping them to grow in their faith that we're building this community of Christ followers. But one of the best parts also about working with these youth is seeing them become disciples for their peers. And I'm going to call it Shelby for a minute sitting over in the front. When I first started working here, I immediately saw Shelby leading, guiding her fellow youth and being a disciple for them and making more disciples. And that was so incredible to see as those youth looked up to her and wanted to grow in their faith because Shelby was leading them. So seeing our youth as leaders, and we have we call them our student connectors, that leadership team, it's a chance for them, not only for us to help them grow as disciples and Christ followers, but they then get to go and work with their peers and help them grow in their faith, which I think is just a beautiful thing as we continue to build that next generation. So our youth are incredibly important, and if you've not spent time with our youth, come and serve with them. They are incredible. Incredible, incredible people who just go out and love others and are living as God calls them to live. And they're our next generation of disciples. And so they're the ones who are going to go out and share the good news and the love of Christ with others. And that's why I think I have the best job as I get to work with them and help them grow in their faith. Thank you, Megan. I didn't lose the fact that it took one woman to set all three of us guys straight (laughs) and to remember our stuff. Great, great job. I appreciate it. Perhaps there are some areas for us to connect in ministry today. We hope that this time in reflecting about discipleship prompts us To say yes. Perhaps you hear the words clearly this morning from Matthew saying, Truly I tell you, just as you did it, fed, clothed, visited one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Dismissing this story would be to miss out on wonderful reminders of our heritage, the power of worship and learning together the knowledge that leads us to live a life in ways that perhaps the world around us doesn't really understand. The notion that worship is actually what we all do all the time in our activities. It is worshiping God. Whether we are feeding or clothing or teaching, the value 
of radical ideas in a community that ultimately reminds us that the breath, the spirit of the Holy One is among us to create miracles in the world. Now I want to share a little bit about a real story that was meaningful for me. Let me close with this story. It was 25 years ago in 1997. I have one daughter here with me today, but it was her big sister, Jennifer, who now goes by Jen. Things do change. I had just returned from a long deployment in Haiti. I was in the military, and I wanted to be part of a study that would teach me more about the Bible. I was longing to learn about the Bible, and and Jen was too. And so we signed up for Disciple One Bible Studies, and it was a powerful time for me, powerful time for Jen as well. It changed the direction of our lives. And it was during the discipleship study we had shifted from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We were in the second chapter of Acts, and I made an appointment to see my pastor, Gene Randalls, the next morning. And I said, I think I'm being called into ministry. And she directed me to seminary. I said earlier, I don't think that if our apportionment dollars had not provided good quality studies for us to go deep into Scripture and talk and analyze and figure out where God is calling us, I don't think, in fact, I know, I would not have become a pastor. So what is God calling you to do today? The community of believers. Is God calling you to feed, to teach, to learn, to grow? Perhaps in a hundred other ways. The second chapter of Acts is a call to discipleship. Let me close with a, a short message from the Reverend Dr. Corey Driver from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And he says, friends, not many of us are called to prophetic ministries like Jeremiah. And yet God does have words for us to say, places for us to go, and deeds of loving kindness for us to fulfill. To focus on our shortcomings and uneasiness is to miss the invitation to a journey with the one who knew us before we were born and prepared righteousness for us to fulfill if we will but begin the journey. We need the story of Acts and other stories like it. That's our story. That's an opportunity for us someday to, maybe even today, to gather the children around us and say, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about Brother Peter. Let me tell you about Brother Paul. Let me tell you where you come from. We have an amazing story to tell. 
our United Methodist story found deeply rooted in Scripture. We have some takeaways from our worship to God this morning. The first is, we all have a story to tell. This is what it means to be a United Methodist disciple of Jesus Christ. Unless we get too full of ourselves, it takes a moment to keep us straight. (laughs) We have a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. A story of truth and mercy. A story of peace and light. For the darkness shall turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. Go in peace.